we are in week eight of uh, a series that we're calling Dice or Deity. And I, I think we're actually, this is a Sunday, it's a record for us because I don't think we've ever had a series this long before. And it's not even over, can you believe it? So, unless you count end a religion, which took three years, but we only did that during the summer. So, uh, it took three years to kill it off. I am about to die. Okay, here we go. Huh. All right. Uh, so, hey, uh, a couple more weeks after that, and then we're going to be uh, starting a new series called Lipstick on a Pig. Yeah. Hmm. wonder what that's about. Uh, so, and I am looking for a potbelly pig, if anyone has one. Uh, it will not be uh, hurt in any way, uh, just for the opening uh, uh, Sunday. So if you have a pop belly pig, let me know. Uh, just put a connect card or something like that. So, hey, we are doing a recap right now uh, of uh, there's been so far, I believe, uh, seven different Dicer Deity moments. Uh, in these moments, these are times in, in the story of Esther where we look at these moments and we, and we say, was was this just merely by chance, or was God doing something here? And the first one was, if you remember, uh, Esther, a Jewess, becomes queen. If you remember, Xerxes, who's the king of the Persian Empire, largest kingdom that the world had known up to that date, he had banished his wife Vashti, and he had uh, a beauty contest, essentially, to find a new wife. And he chose Esther. And we sat there and we said, you know, is that coincidence? Is that just merely a roll of the dice? Or was God doing something larger here? Was he setting up um, people in the right positions, in the right place uh, to unfold his story later? The next one was Mordecai, uh, her relative, uh, overhears a plot against Xerxes. A couple of eunuchs wanted to kill Xerxes. And uh, Mordecai happened to be in the right place at the right time and had the right connections to save Mordecai's life. And we asked the question, was that merely by chance? Or was God, did God put Mordecai in the right place at the right time with the right connections to be able to save Xerxes' life? The next one was Xerxes did not reward Mordecai for saving his life. And we struggle with that a little bit, saying, is it possible that God can withhold blessings from us so it, uh, to fulfill his plan. The next one was that Haman, who's the villain, uh, who's the enemy of the Jews in this story, cast lots about when the best time uh, would be the best time to have genocide against the Jews. And it, uh, when he cast lots, there was a possible year time frame, and it came up nearly a year later. And we asked, was it just merely coincidence that those lots, those dice being rolled came up a year later, or did God guide those dice? Next one, Xerxes has insomnia on the eve of Mordecai's execution. Uh, if you remember, Mordecai and uh, Haman were having a testosterone contest through this uh, whole story, uh, seeing who could throw stones the farthest and all this kind of good stuff. And uh, Haman, who had more power, was going to have uh, Mordecai killed, and he set up this 75-foot pole, if you remember, and he was going to make uh, Mordecai sit on it, essentially. And, uh, and so Xerxes had insomnia uh, the night before Mordecai's execution, so he called in an attendant, 
uh, one of his uh, servants to read him the happenings of the government. And again, it was the largest empire known to that date. And uh, this attendant just happened, or maybe God caused him to grab the record that reminded the king that Mordecai had not been rewarded for saving his life. And then the next one was, right when that happened, and he learned of that, Haman entered um, just as he was thinking how to honor the king. And if you remember, this was last week where, where Haman told him, hey, you know, I dressed the person up in his king's robes and put him on his horse and parade him through the streets saying, this is the thing that happens to you if the king wants to honor you. Uh, of course, Haman thinking that all of this honor was going to be bestowed on him, bestowed on him. but it wasn't. It was uh, put on his arch enemy, Mordecai. So that's where we are in the story. And uh, today is a really exciting day where, where Mordecai, excuse me, uh, Haman uh, really reaps what he sows. But before we jump into that, this is what I'd like you to do. I'd like you to turn to somebody, preferably someone you do not know, wish them Merry Christmas, see if they punch you, but don't punch somebody if they say that because it is a Merry Christmas. It's, it's a merry time of year. And uh, ask them this question. When was a time that you or someone else had to eat their words? Go for it. All right, come on back, come on back. So when was a time that you or someone else had to eat their words? Anybody like to weigh in on this? We have a hand back there, and you have to say your name before you answer so we can all know you and love you. Hi, my name's Doug, and I want you to all know me and love me. Um, Merry Christmas. We actually, I say that all the time. But anyway, uh, my brother and I were walking home from school, and we had a friend with us, and we were just, you know, getting, getting home, and he's looking over, and he goes, oh, see that girl over there? He, she is really ugly, and... She won't leave me alone. She keeps coming up to me, and she's asking me out. She wants me to date her, and I just I can't stand her. I just want her to leave me alone. I turned, and he goes, oh, that's my sister. Oh. <laughs> true, true story. <laughs> true, true story. I like it. That's a good story. Anybody else? When you, time you had to eat your words. Sarah, I heard you say that's me or something. <laughs> what was your story? I... My name's Sarah Mack, and I am notorious for not thinking things through before I say them. And so quite often, almost every day, I eat my words Okay. as soon as I've said them. All right. Any specific example? Not that I would particularly care to share. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. Well, I was thinking about this, and, and I also... Uh, I don't know if you know this about me, your, your, your humble pastor, but I'm a serious trash talker. <laughs> no, but I, I, I try to do it in jest and fun and everything, and I, I, I like competition. I'm a wee bit competitive. Uh, and uh, the chili cook-off is a, is a prime example of last year. Uh, I talked a whole lot of trash before the chili cook-off, and... Uh, uh, I, I did not get first 
Yeah, in, in, a, in a chili cook-off, and uh, I've had to, I am constantly reminded about that throughout the year by the, by the one who did get first, and uh, the one who got second, and then all that kind of good stuff, but this year, in fact, if you remember last year, I stood right here in this stage and uh, challenged anybody, uh, I have gone back to the bucket and uh, the pot, and not the pot, but the, you know, the, 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 <laughs> Not that pot, the, the big thing uh, where you put the chili in. And, uh, uh, and I am going to win <laughs> this year. So I'm going to do it again. I'm not very smart. I'll probably have to eat my words again, but there it is. I, it's a lot of fun. And uh, come eat my winning chili. Uh, there we go. The challenge is out there once again. So, hey, we uh, are moving along, and we, if you open up your Bibles uh, to Esther chapter 7, we are going to see uh, Haman have to uh, eat his words today and uh, in all of his plans. Now, if you remember, Esther uh, had risked her life to go into Xerxes unannounced and uh, to ask him uh, to save her people. And he put out the royal scepter, and she touched it, and he said, you can have whatever you want up to half my kingdom. And, and at that point, uh, it kind of looked like she choked because she didn't say, save my people. She, she said, I'd like you and Haman to come over for dinner. And we're all like, oh, Esther, man, you had it right there. Why'd you let it go by? So Haman and Xerxes came to dinner, if we remember that, and uh, Xerxes asked her again, hey, what do you want? Up to half of my kingdom, you can have it. And we're like, okay, Esther, you got another chance. Do it. Pull the trigger. And again, she said, well, I'd like you and Haman to come to dinner again tomorrow night. Then I'll tell you. And we're like, oh. She choked again that she, she, she got up to the plate and she didn't swing. And she, she failed herself. The kind of at the surface, it looks like she failed herself. And it looks like she failed her people. And, and it was just a disaster. Let's see what, where, what happens. So the king and Haman went to Queen Esther's banquet. And while they were drinking wine that day, the king asked her again, Tell me what you want, Queen Esther. What is your request? I will give it to you even if it is half the kingdom. So there you are again. This is the third time King Xerxes has told Queen Esther, hey, anything you want, just tell me. And so Queen Esther replied, if your majesty is pleased with me and wants to grant my request, my petition is that my life and the lives of my people will be spared. For my people and I have been sold to those who would kill, slaughter, and annihilate us. If we had only been sold as slaves, I could remain quiet. For that would have been a matter too trivial to warrant disturbing the king. Who would do such a thing? King Xerxes demanded. Who would dare touch you? Esther replied, the wicked Haman is our enemy. Haman grew pale with fright before the king and queen. You would think so. Then the king jumped to his feet in rage. 
and went out into the palace garden. Now, just real quick, a story clarifier. Just I, I don't want you to miss everything that just happened here because it's absolutely amazing. You see, now we can understand why God directed Esther to delay her plans, to ask Xerxes to save her and her people's life. You see, by delaying, Xerxes was able to find out and remember about Mordecai the Jew, bring, saving his life. You see, if she would have walked right into the palace and said, hey, up to half, you know, up to half of my kingdom, and she said this, maybe it wouldn't have fallen out because he didn't have the knowledge yet. Didn't have the knowledge yet that Mordecai had saved his life. At least he didn't remember. It wasn't in the front of his brain. And then the second time, the second dinner, she didn't come out again. And, and I don't know, we look at that story up to this point and say, Esther, come on, pull the trigger, do it. But it, that would have been our timing, not God's timing. You see, God was still unfolding these events. And I think that we can look at this and learn so much. That so many times we can stand on the sidelines and say, look, this is what you need to do. And we discredit or discount the power of the Holy Spirit in somebody's life. That sometimes delay, even on a righteous thing, and this is very hard, is the holy and godly course of action. You know, I fully believe that someday God is going to allow us to have a building. I believe that, that God is going to do a lot of great things. And, and we could push through and try to make those things happen. And, and by making those good things happen, we could really circumvent God's plan. You see, I think as followers of Christ, we have to be very, very careful and continually to ask ourselves the question, is this God's timing? Am I just pushing through? Is it my will that this is happening? Or is this God's timing? And it's so hard in our brains so many times to distinguish because a lot of times our motives are pure. Sometimes we want to get married. And we're like, I, I want to be married and I want to be married to this guy. And you know what? Marriage is a beautiful, sanctioned union by God. But not married to just whoever. And it could even be that you could be dating the right person, but it's just not the right time that you guys come together, that there needs to be more seasoning and life experience and growth. And as we're seeing with the story of Esther here, and I'm guilty when I was reading this story, I judged her and said, you blew it. And then I judged her again and I said, you blew it. And then the third time, when I realized that she didn't blow it, I blew it by making a judgment call and discounted her relationship with the one true living God. And that she actually had a relationship 
with him and he was guiding her. Even when it looked like delay was being cowardice. And here we see that her delay was absolutely essential because her delay allowed Xerxes to to have insomnia for Haman to lay out his plan, which will unfold today. And that him to have insomnia, to have his, his, uh, the attendant read him the government records, which reminds Xerxes of what Mordecai did to honor Mordecai the Jew in front of the whole kingdom. And now, it all becomes clear. We say, wow. God knew what he was doing the whole time. I don't know if that gives you comfort. If you can think in your own situation. You know what? How is this all working out? How is this all working together for good as we talked about last week? Remember that if we're about God's purpose, which Esther was, and she loved God, God promises that it's going to work together for he, them who love him and are about his purpose. And the truth, same is true for us. And you could just imagine that Esther is in the darkest days of her life, but in the darkest days of her life, she is about to experience firsthand the mighty power of God. And I don't know about you, but I bet if you look back in that moment, as she looked back at that moment, she wouldn't have traded it for ever, anything. To be on the front lines of God doing something amazing. So he goes out, and he goes out in rage. So Basically, we have Haman and Esther left there at dinner, and Xerxes has left. He is really, really upset. But Haman stayed behind to plead for his life with Queen Esther, for he knew that he was doomed. In despair, he fell on the couch where Queen Esther was reclining, just as the king returned from the palace garden. Will he even assault the queen right here in the palace before my eyes? The king roared. Roar. And as soon as the king spoke, the attendants covered Haman's face, signaling his doom. And here we have our next dice or deity moment. Picture the king leaving the room. He's so upset. He has to remove himself physically from the situation just to get his head about him. And at that point, Haman throws himself at the feet or maybe on the knees of Esther. And at that point, Xerxes walks in and sees that he is touching the queen, which is a, a uh, crime punishable by death. They, put the co they covered his face because in that culture, that meant that you were basically going to be executed because the king would not 
look on the face of a condemned person. Then Harbona, one of the king's eunuchs, said, Haman has set up gallows that stands 75 feet tall in his own courtyard. Yeah, thanks a lot. <laughs> he intended to use it to hang Mordecai, the man who saved the king from assassination. Oh, it's not looking good for Haman. <laughs> and the truth is, the Bible tells us time and time again. And it lays out in narrative and instruction that we reap what we sow. For those of us who are farmers, that means whatever you plant, you know, if you plant corn, you're going to get corn. If you turn to Galatians chapter 7 and verse 6, Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes this, Don't be misled. Remember that you can't ignore God and get away with it. You will always, underline always in your Bible, you will always reap what you sow. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful desires will harvest the consequence of decay and death. Now remember, sin, biblical sin, is the gap between God's perfect will for our lives and, and the gap between that and our desire for our lives. When we trade God's perfect will for our lives, for our own will, that gap is sin. And it's not good for you. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. God's offering us life. So don't get tired of doing what is good. Don't get discouraged and give up. For we will reap a harvest of blessings at the appropriate time. Underline, at the appropriate time. Isn't that what we're seeing here in the story of Esther? That God is blessing at the appropriate time. That we need to grow in our faith of God. Yeah, I love my kids, but I, I get a little tired of the, the Christmas countdown. There's this, this impatience. There's, hey, can we just, you know, can we just open up a present early? You know, that 12 days of Christmas song, they keep singing it again and again and again. Like, I think they're trying to remind me that, like, they got this song for some reason in some place somebody got 12 days of presents i'm like no you gotta wait for the day the appropriate time because that is what's going to be best for you it's going to be best because we get to come together and celebrate the gift of lord jesus christ that our God in heaven gave us. And what a wonderful day that that will be. And this is what God is trying to tell us. He's like, look, he's trying to tell us through the story of Esther, I know what I'm doing. That your life is not merely a roll of the dice. That even when bad things happen, guess what? I'm in control. Even when you can't see my end game, guess what? I'm in control. 
When you think you're right and you think that you can put your desires and, and, and put them in front of mine, guess what? It's not going to work out well for you. Because I am doing something much bigger and what I am offering you is the opportunity to be part of a bigger plan. This is what God is screaming through the story of Esther. Verse 10 in Galatians. Whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, <coughs> especially to our Christian brothers and sisters. We shouldn't get discouraged doing good. Not ever get discouraged doing the right thing. It's so hard when you are working hard and you're trying to serve God and you don't see any benefit from it. But God is telling us, look, I'm in control and at the appropriate time, this will come together. And we have to say, you know what? My faith is large enough I have a faith that's larger than this circumstance. And I have a faith in a God that transcends space and time. Who loves me. Loved me enough to send his only son to die for me so I could have life. Everlasting life. With the creator of the universe. the second part of verse 9 in Esther chapter 7. Xerxes says this. He says, Then hang Haman on it, the king ordered. So they hanged Haman on the gallows he had set up for Mordecai. And the king's anger was pacified. The day before, I don't know if you've ever seen those CNR commercials, what a difference a day makes. But a day before, Haman had been thinking that he was at the top of the heap, thought everything was coming together. His master plan of evil and genocide and of self-indulgence was right there. And then at the appropriate time, God revealed his plan that he had withheld the blessing of being honored to Mordecai for the appropriate time where he was walked through the street and honored. Probably tenfold of what he originally would have been honored. That in turn, reminded right at the right time that, the, that Mordecai had saved the king, who was a Jew. And if you were King Xerxes, probably in your head, you're starting to connect, going, wait a second, there's pending genocide against the Jews here. But Mordecai saved my life, and he's a Jew. Heck, my wife. Esther, she's a Jew. Maybe these Jewish people aren't all that bad. Maybe there needs to 
be a change of course here. And this is the final Dicer deity moment of today where Haman is impaled in his own gallows. And, you know, this is, this is probably not a, a visualization that a lot of us in the 21st century feel very comfortable with. That, that our God, you know, we, li- we, like, the, we like to think uh, of kind of the, the 60s hippie Jesus with the flowers and everything. Like, we feel very comfortable with that. You know, it's like uh, uh, Talladega Nights when Will Ferrell is praying. He's all sweet baby Jesus. And they ask him, why are you always praying baby Jesus? I like, I like baby Jesus. I just, he's so cute. You know, he goes into a little thing. You know what we do when we do that? We put God in a box. We, in our own minds, we become the God. And we have God be our servant. The truth is, God is so much bigger than that. That he has so much more control and plan. He knows everything. And so we have this dicer deity moment where we're like, God had somebody impaled on a 75-foot stick. That's, that's not very free love. That's not, that's not very benign. But I think God, again, is teaching us a lesson here. That he's trying to say, look, I am in control. That I have a bigger plan. And you can either be part of it or you can go against it. Or you can be blessed if you follow me, or you can be cursed. The choice really is yours. And this teaching permeates or should permeate every aspect of our life. That the, the Bible often speaks of fearing God. And we just, in our 21st century sensibilities, we don't like that idea, a God that we tremble in fear of. But God is all-powerful, and a right biblical understanding of God is, yeah, you know what? He is a loving Savior that we have a relationship with, that He is our Father. But He is also our authority, and we should be in awe of him and we should never in our own minds or our souls or our speech try to take him down a few notches for so we can palate his actions we need to submit to him And the only way that we can do that is to be able to take a step back and and hopefully learn from this story that when we don't understand, we don't understand that the adversity and the pain that is in our lives, we still have faith and trust that God is in control and that 
if we love him and we are according to his purpose, everything that we are experienced will work together for good. Let's pray. Dear God, you are holy, you are powerful, you are loving. Many times it's hard for us to have a correct view of you. Sometimes we like to think of you as a little sweet baby Jesus, which is an aspect of you that you came and were vulnerable for us. But Father, forgive us if that's what we try to limit you to be. God, Please open up our hearts and minds. Let us not be afraid to run into your presence and throw our arms around you, but let us never forget that you are an awesome, all-powerful God, worthy of our praise, worthy of our worship, worthy of our honor. Let us be a people who know you, in Jesus' name, amen.